days, aren't we, at the end of one of those weeks. Um, maybe it's just me, but I think this has been the hardest week since uh, all of this began for me and certainly many other people I've spoken to. So I just want to acknowledge that, and it seems to be playing out in our tech stuff at the back, so grace abounds, guys, well done. The other thing I just want to acknowledge is I really need a haircut. Um, I actually was tempted to sign a petition I saw go around on Twitter the other day, which was uh, asking the government to uh, escalate barbers up the, va the vaccine kind of list, um, which I think says something about the state of uh, where we're at. Um, we've just finished a module called Beloved Identity, where we've been asking the question, who are we? We've looked at questions of uh, identity through these lenses of grace, fear, and success. And now we're starting a second module in this pattern journey called Togetherness. Just two parts, and it really builds on beloved identity. Today we're talking about friendship, and then next week Andy is going to look at forgiveness. What do we do when our relationships go wrong, basically? I wanted to tell you a story about my friend Rich, but I realized I wasn't going to have time to do that. And I also hadn't checked with him that I should. But Rich, I'll come back to him later, is a friend that I made on the very first time I walked into a church in Cheltenham when I was exploring faith. We were both new to the town. We moved in uh, together uh, as housemates a few years later. We were at each other's weddings. We were best men, all that sort of stuff. And uh, Rich and I are still great friends. I hadn't seen Rich for a while. And... Uh, just before Christmas, we managed in that kind of gap, do you remember, when you could actually just about go and see somebody vaguely? Uh, it feels like a lifetime ago. We caught up, and it was such a joy to me because I realized this friend Rich is a friend for life. He's one of those friends that I know will be with me right to the very end. And we articulated that commitment to one another afresh in a pub, and it was a real joy. We'll come back to him, as I said, later uh, if, I, if I have time, that is. Jess, actually, we're on schedule, aren't we? So I've probably got longer than I realize, which is fatal. Don't tell me that. Um, friendship, I want to suggest, as we start, is more than just people you know. You're not friends. I cannot be friends with everybody that I know. Lots of us know lots of people, and some of us feel like we just know too many people, and it's all a bit overwhelming. We have colleagues, we have acquaintances, we have neighbors, we have those people that you have the sort of half small talk conversations at the school gate, perhaps. There are people on your university course that you sort of know, but you don't really know. There are family members that aren't so close that you see occasionally that you kind of know, but don't really know. When we talk about friendship, what we want to talk about is those people in our lives where we invest in one another to the extent that we become mutual friends, mutual sojourners through this thing called life, sources of support and encouragement, care and comfort, where you can have a laugh and actually fundamentally be yourself. You will have heard this phrase, I'm sure, if you've been around the world, life, for any length of time. We have friends for a reason, friends for a season, and some friends for life. There are friends that we have because we perhaps have a shared interest. Uh, we're friends because we are in the same running club, 
for example. We have friends that we have because of the stage of life we're in that actually aren't necessarily friends that carry on through your life. Maybe if you're at university, for example, or uh, a particular stage of parenting, or a particular stage of um, development in your work where you've got colleagues that you're doing stuff with. And then there are those friends that seem to be with you for life, like my friend Rich. I should have said that he's known as Irish Rich to our friendship group, and I'm known as Tall Rich, so uh, that just was the way we all distinguished between the two. And all of these friendships and relationships, they have value. But I want to suggest that if we really want to have the kind of friendships that actually will carry the test of time, will be those people in our lives that we journey through life with, who help us become everything that we're called to be, then actually we're going to have to do more than just kind of go with the flow. We're going to have to invest in them, nurture a depth and a quality to them. And when we do that, what we find is that we're in a context, a relationship context, where we are truly known and truly know. And it's those friendships that we want to focus in on this morning, not because other friendships and relationships aren't important, but because actually these ones are really important and actually become part of the crucible of our formation as followers of Jesus. It's often in the context of deep, committed friendship that God gets to do some of his deepest work in us and through us because we're not meant to do this on our own. As apprentices of Jesus, we should have people in our lives who are there with us and for us to help us pattern our life after Christ and together call out the gold in one another and encourage us to become everything God has for us. The great Roman philosopher Seneca put it like this. He said, one of the most beautiful qualities of true friendship is to understand and to be understood. So, that sounds great, right? But it's not a given, is it? In our world, the reality is many of us, as I've said, know lots of people, but don't feel very known by many, if any, at all. That is all compounded, I would suggest, by our network society, our hyper-connected world, fueled by social media and uh, the internet, you know, WhatsApp, FaceTime, Zoom, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, everything there, connecting us to more and more people, but often spreading us so thin that we're not known and don't truly know. It's a real gift, all of that, but ultimately it doesn't fuel and facilitate the kind of friendship that I think all of us long for and need. We're so aware as a church that there'll be people here this morning who are right now feeling lonely, feeling isolated, feeling partly a disconnect from their friends, but also perhaps realizing that they don't have the kind of friendships they really need and want. And let me say something to that. First of all, if that is you, you need to know you're not alone. And actually what I've realized is often the people who we think have lots of friends and lots of those quality relationships, when you ask them, because I've been doing that, they'll say, actually, not really, or certainly not as many as I'd like or need, and certainly not at the moment because I can't really connect. So we're actually all in this together. The second thing to say is we are committed to doing what we can do to incubate and encourage that and architect for that. Life groups, prayer groups are part of 
the answer to that. And I would suggest that all of this, as I said, has been compounded by COVID. It's made it much harder. But it's also a bit of a gift. It's a bit of a moment for us to clarify and to review and to reassess. And we'll come to that in a few minutes' time. Because actually part of what's happened is we've not been able to connect with as many people. We've not been in the office party. We've not been to parties. We've not been at the school gate. We've not found ourselves in those extended family networks. We've not had all those moments where uh, in our diary that actually mean we're exposed to lots of people. And some of us have found that we've really been able to, a bit more than normal, invest in a few friendships, albeit over Zoom, which we're all a bit sick of. But I'm thankful for Zoom nonetheless. And so I want to suggest we have a moment in time to review and reassess and ask not only what friendship is, but do I have the kind of friendships that I need and want and that God has designed me for, both to be the beneficiary of them, but also to be someone who gives that gift to other people. The scriptures have a lot to say. This could be a 10-part teaching series. It's really not. Wisdom in the scriptures about this comes in places like Proverbs 27 that says the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. Some of you will know what that feels like. There's truth in the scriptures about friendship. Look at this, Psalm 25 verse 14. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. And there are lots of examples of friendships that we could pick out. Jonathan and David, Ruth and Naomi, Paul and Timothy, Moses and Aaron. There's a long, long list. Today we're going to focus in just briefly on Jesus and two of his friends, Peter and John. Before we get to that, here's two Greek words for you, because this is really important in helping us understand what on earth the Bible is saying about all of this. There are four words in the Greek for love, two of which appear in the scriptures, agape and philio. There's also storge, which is family love, and then there's eros, from which we get the word erotic. Agape love is God's perfect, unconditional love for all people. And it requires at times cost and sacrifice. Ultimately, Jesus on the cross. That's the the ultimate expression of agape love. And then there's this filio love. It's this deep affection that you can feel for someone else. Where meaningful friendships forge as a result. Where there's an affection and a mutual commitment to one another. Where almost like a family-like interest in the other person develops. The scriptures talk about this over and over again with the language of brother and sister, interestingly, because we are the family of God and we're friends with people in our family as well as people, obviously, beyond our church family. John articulates it in various ways. Have a look at John 13 if you've got a Bible in front of you. He says in in John 13, this is the context of the Last Supper, the disciple Jesus loved was sitting next to Jesus at the table. And the word that's used there by John is agape. The disciple that Jesus truly agaped was me. Now, this self-proclaimed favorite of Jesus actually isn't saying I'm the only one that was agaped by Jesus. But he is saying, I knew I was agaped by Jesus. 
Interestingly, if you go on to John 19, he's the only disciple that stood there at the foot of the cross at the end of the crucifixion. He agapeed Jesus back. And John writes this in John chapter 15. He says, this is my commandment. This is quoting Jesus. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. The word there for love is agape. There is no greater agape than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. The friends of Jesus agape him and other people. One of the ways you know that you're a friend of Jesus is that you've been agape loved by him and you share that agape love into the world around you, the people around you, your family, your friends, your colleagues, your acquaintances, your connections. Because as I said, not everyone you know is your friend and that's okay. Notice what he goes on to say, I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends. It's the word philos, from which we get Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love in America, etc., etc. Now you're my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. Jesus chose us because he wants to be friends with us. And as his friends, we are the beneficiary of his agape love, his unconditional love, extended to us in grace. Remember, we looked at that a few weeks ago. So notice two things. Jesus says we are his friends, which means we are actually not alone, ever. It might feel like that. And I feel like that at times, for what it's worth. You can be surrounded by people, can't you, and feel very alone. This is part of our beloved identity. We're friends with God through Jesus, who says, you are my brother, you are my sister, my filios love, but also I have agape loved you because you're my friends, so that we can be friends And so the second thing to notice is his expectation is we would do that for other people. We can agape love somebody even if we don't like them. He says, love your enemies. The word there is agape. Do the same for people who hurt you and contradict you and challenge you and cost you as I have done for you. You don't have to be filios love friends. You don't have to have a deep mutual affection to be able to love your enemy. And that's where forgiveness comes in. And I'll leave that for Andy. This brings us to Peter, who's one of my favorite characters in the New Testament. If you know the story um, of Peter, and this story will make sense, but the context here, so turn for a moment in John chapter 21. We'll come to that in a moment. I'm going to read it to you. But the backstory here is actually found in John 18, a few chapters earlier. Peter has boasted at the Last Supper, as Peter was wont to do, that actually, I will never deny you, Jesus, because we're friends. I'm never going to let you down. And then that same evening, as you may know if you know the story, he denies Jesus three times to avoid arrest. When the moment came to show agape love to Jesus, i.e. costly love, unconditional love, I'm with you to the very end, he doesn't do it. 
And so in chapter 21 of John, which is post-resurrection, Jesus by now has died on the cross, been raised to new life, and he appears to his disciples, and he's cooking them breakfast on the beach. I would have loved to have been there in that moment. He takes Peter off for a bit of a walk. And if you've seen the Narnia films, if you know the Narnia stories, there's a moment where Aslan and Edmund have to have a little conversation because Edmund is the one that doesn't actually stick with Aslan and the plan. And he very graciously restores to Edmund everything that he'd lost. And he says to Susan and uh, uh, Peter and Lucy, you don't need to know with the conversation. It's dealt with. It's, that's what C.S. Lewis is, was trying to get at. He's referencing this chapter in John chapter 21, which goes like this. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He's pointing to the other disciples. The word there is agape. Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know that I love you. But he uses the word filio, friendship love. Not, not this unconditional lay down my life love, but, but you're my friend. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? The word there is agape. Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you, filio. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time the word is filio. Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, filio. Then Jesus said, feed my sheep. So Jesus is asking Peter three times, do you love me? And what he's deliberately doing, I would argue, we see this in all the commentaries I've read, that he's very clearly referencing those three denials of Jesus, uh, of Jesus by Peter. And he's essentially eradicating their effect. He's undoing them one at a time. He's restating Peter into friendship with Jesus. He starts with, do you agape me? Will you lay down your life for me? Peter can't get there yet all sorts of arguments around that. Why is that? But, but he ends with saying, okay, but are we friends? Can you be my friend? And, and Peter is able to say yes to that. And that's enough for Jesus for reasons that will become apparent in a moment. But this, I would argue, is an expression of huge grace from Jesus to Peter and actually a clue to how it is when we return to God, when we return to Jesus, having not done the things we should have done, having denied him, having forgotten about him. Jesus reinstates us into our identity as his friend, his brother, and his sister. So you might be thinking, what's this got to do with friendship? Well, I would argue it's got everything to do with friendship and our friendships. You see, the kind of deep friendships that we long for, that we're made for, that we need, they require both agape and filio love. The filio love that we receive from certain others, those close friends that we commit to doing life with, makes showing agape love to others so much easier. We can more easily show agape love to our enemies, to, to those that we have to love or choose to forgive, even when we don't want to, if we've got the filio love and support of our friends. When we know that we are known and loved and supported and wanted and needed by a close group of friends who've said yes to us 
We're for you. We're with you. We're going to do this together. We're going to have this kingdom life alongside one another. Then actually we can bravely do whatever it is in front of us. It's so much harder without it. We've had some moments with some friends of ours, I don't want to give any details, but who've needed the filios love of some friends as they face some really difficult issues. They lead a church, they've had to face some challenges head on, and they've said it's because we've had friendship that has helped us stay connected to God and put courage into us, that they've been able to process all their stuff with, be honest about how hard they're finding it, that they've been able to do it. And because of that, they've gone there. And because of that, there's been reconciliation and transformation. And it's an extraordinary story. We can love God and one another with an agape love more easily if we're rooted in this community of friends that we're hardwired for. Because we, we know who we are and whose we are. We know we're going to be encouraged into that. We know we're going to have people who are going to help us, who are going to pray for us, who are going to listen to us, who at times will call us to account. And they're often the most powerful friendships. I've been really struck by some of the stories that are coming in through life groups and the prayer groups where people are finding that level of support and encouragement to face their own stuff because of the support of other people. Jesus doesn't demand agape love from Peter. He invites it. He, he wants that. He wants us to give back to him the kind of love that he's shown us. Of course he does, but he's not going to demand it from us. It's not a precondition for his love. He wants it to come as an expression, an extension of our filio love for him. Because we're his friends, we'll lay down our life for him. Because we are friends to others, we will lay down our lives for one another. And because we have those kind of relationships, we can agape love those people around us who aren't our friends but need to be loved like Jesus would love them. If you know Peter's story, the way Jesus did this was masterful because Peter's the one who stands up at Pentecost and preaches to explain what's gone on. Peter's the one who does the same in the temple and manages to upset every religious person at the time. Peter's the one who gets arrested time and time again. He's the one that faces opposition. Why? Because he's showing his agape love to Jesus, his friend. So practically, conscious of time, how do we go about cultivating these kind of friendships? Well, three things I want to say real quick. And we're putting together notes for our life groups and for you individually. They'll be on our pattern page on our website uh, by the end of tomorrow. And there'll be some thoughts on how you can take this forward, talk about it with other people in your life groups, etc. Before I come to them, let me just um, reiterate my caveat from the beginning. This is really hard right now, isn't it? And so be kind to yourself. Some of us, this whole area is a huge source of pain. And we understand that. And so if you need help with relationships, friendships, if you're feeling alone and lonely, we want to be there for you. And you can make contact with our pastoral team. Andy, who's moderating, will drop in the email uh, there now and you can get in touch with us. So three things. Number one, be wise. Be wise. This is a good time to prayerfully reflect 
and reassess our life in general, I would argue, and including that in that, our relationships. Are we, am I, investing my time and energy appropriately? It's so easy to spread ourselves too thin across too many connections, relationships, at the expense of those really important friendships that actually we want and need. Those lifelong, deep friendships that actually we can cultivate require a lot more time and investment than we realize. It takes a whole life to form those kind of friendships. The reality is, the psychologists have done the work on this, you can only have that kind of friendship, that kind of depth of friendship with a relatively small number of people. Jesus, interestingly, had 12, of which one betrayed him, so let's call it 11. John thought he was the most favorite. I think they all knew that, really. But Jesus only had 12. So why do we think we can have 120? It makes no sense, right? There is value in every kind of relationship. Of course there is. But it's really good to be clear. Are, are these friends for a reason? Are these friends for a season that actually I'm no longer in? And who are the friendships that I that I want to keep investing in because they seem to go through every reason and season. That's where the gold is, and all the other ones benefit as a result. And what you do is, if you're on social media, have a look. Who are the people that you don't need to connect with on social media to have contact with them? They're the people that you invest your time in. Most of your Facebook friends or Twitter followers will either be acquaintances, colleagues, people you're interested in, people you might like to get to know, but don't know, or people that you know from a previous season. And that's okay, but don't prioritize them over the people right in front of you. And it's worth reiterating, in case you don't know this, that you don't actually have to be friends with everybody. Whether that's church, school, uni, work, your family. I mean, it's good if you're friends with your close family, but you can't know your whole family, etc., etc. Number two, be aware. Be aware that this is hard, so be kind to yourselves. And remember that it's hard for everybody. This is not a time to make assumptions or draw too many conclusions about other people and your relationship with them. Give people the benefit of the doubt. Check it out. Remember, it's hard. Be aware of our stuff, our insecurities that mean we often come to people in an unhelpful way. We don't always realize be aware of our unrealistic expectations that we put on other people, often instead of going to God with them. Be aware of our past hurts, where someone else has hurt us and it makes it harder for us to trust someone else over here. Get some help with that. Be aware of comparison. Don't compare yourself to people you don't really know that you follow on social media. Find people who love you for you. When you open the door and you're still in your pyjamas and you haven't done your hair and they still love you, which is a lockdown reality, right? Let's be honest. Be aware of other people. Be aware of those people that you've forgotten about, that actually you are friends with, that you need to perhaps reprioritize, either because of your own busyness or of your own stuff. And be aware of those in need around us, particularly if you're part of our community. People who need kindness and help and friendship.
And then finally, be intentional. Be intentional. Take the initiative. Text someone, call someone, bless someone, throw fuel on the friendship fire. Don't wait for them. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Find out where they're at. Affirm the friendship. Be explicit. You guys are really important to us. We want to make time. We want to connect. We want to go the distance with you. Take some risks. Be vulnerable. Ask for help. Say it as it is, particularly at the moment. And then finally, commit to community, which is a segue to say, you know, if you don't naturally have those friendships, often they come out of things like a life group or out of investing and taking the initiative. So just commit to some group of friends and see what emerges. It's hard and it'll take you the rest of your life, but it's in that crucible of agape and filio love that actually we become most alive in God, most alive in ourselves, and therefore the biggest gift to the world. Let's pray. I want to just encourage you to, perhaps if you're at home and you're able to, just to stand, put your hands out, maybe close your eyes and ask the Holy Spirit, the counsellor, sent by Jesus to us as a gift, sent by Jesus, your friend, to you as a gift, that you would know him, that you'd know his presence, you'd know his love, you'd know his 